This uh, shear, Ryan gives us this shear, Erev Yontes, is dedicated in the memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman by his loving family. As I've said in the past, Dr. Feldman was an important person in the community Jewish world, besides being an outstanding doctor. I mean, besides, I mean, as well as being an outstanding doctor and Two of his sons attended the yeshiva, so we were very, uh, quite a close relationship, and I'm happy to have this opportunity. Now this, uh, all these words on this sheet, there are a lot of words here, I guess. Uh, we're going to look at some of those words, but not all of them. And uh, I guess the rest of the words you can look at at your leisure. Uh, I'm going to say something about Shavuot which is going to be probably different than anything that you've ever heard anybody say about Shavuot. But don't get nervous. You can do that sometimes. It says in the Shulchan Aruch, I just thought it's the first source, Biyom Hamishim Mishirata Omer Uchaga Shavuot. Now you know that this is a problematic thing because we know that Chaga Shavuot is supposed to come out on a certain day on a certain day of the month the month of Sivan the sixth day of the month of Sivan and you start counting Sirat Omer on the second day of Pesach which is the sixteenth day of Nisan so between the sixteenth day of Nisan and the sixth day of Sivan how many Rashi Chodesh are there? Nisan, Iyar, and Sivan, right? Now you know that the way the Jewish calendar is organized, Rosh Chodesh is sometimes one day and sometimes two days. In the olden times, when they would declare the Rosh Chodesh, uh, the Rosh Chodesh was declared by witnesses who came to the Beit Din and said that they saw the new moon so again it could be a day earlier it could be a day later it could be on the 29th to 30 or the 30th to the 31st of the last of the last month therefore in the original way that these things were set up it was impossible to know that Shavuot would come out on the sixth day of Sivan. So that to say, as the Shukhanar says, that we connect, we figured out a way to make the 50th day of Sivata Omer. I know there are only 49, but that's what it says in the Shukhanar. On the 50th day, the fact that it's always Vav Sivan is a contrivance. Right? We force the calendar into this Ecrustian bed of uh, Vasivan. But this is something new. Even that certainly didn't exist at the time of the Chumash and the time of the Bayadrishon. I mean, they could not have celebrated Shavuot and Matan Torah on the same day. It's only the Luach that made it possible. I just wanted you to know that. The Seder Tzvila 
any anyway. Say that we like a mobile young person. says, you know, we say we say one shvon esrei, another shvon esrei, right? Say that we like, and we say in the middle what we say in the middle. Right? But the Shukhanar says, this is what I meant that you should to take note of. At Yom Chag HaShavuat Azeh, Zman Matan Karatenu. Right? There is no reference in the Chumash that Zman Matan Karatenu comes out on Shavuot. But we forced Shavuot to be, to come out always on the day of Matan Karatenu. And because of that, we can say in Kiddush and in Shemona Esrei, we can say the holiday that we're celebrating today is the holiday of Zman Matan Taratim. But this is something that we imposed on the day, so that you can legitimately ask, well, what's the connection between Shavuot in the Torah and Shavuot of Zman Matan Taratim? You could ask. We're not going to ask that question tonight. But I'm just, I'm just saying that if you read really carefully, right? If you read really carefully, that's what comes out. Gomrima Halel Matzim Shleitzvarim Bekorim Berishon Chamisha Mevechodesh Hashem. So the Shulchanuch tells you what you do on Shavuot. Now you know that there are no mitzvot connected to Shavuot on the on the Shavuot, the biblical Shavuot, the Torah Shavuot. On Sukkot, we sit in a Sukkah. That's in the Torah. On Pesach, we eat a matzah. That's in the Torah. <coughs> well, that's in the Torah. But, but this Van Matan Teratenu, it's not clear that that's a mitzvah or a proclamation. Right? Zvan Matan Teratenu. It's like, you know, you just say it. So along comes the Magen Abraham. You know the Magen Abraham, Rabbi Abraham Gumbina, he was sort of a contemporary, a little bit younger, a contemporary with the Ramah. And he wrote a commentary, he wrote a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, on Orchayim. The commentary that he wrote on the Shulchan Aruch, Orchayim, is sort of considered to be an extension of the Shulchan Aruch. It's as though the Ramah himself wrote it. Because they were very close and they studied together. So it's assumed that, that, uh, that the Mother of Ram wanted to add things to what the Ramor wrote. He didn't want to fight with the Ramor. Right? If you ever get the cracker, which I understand is something people do these days, you, in the back of the shul, there's a cemetery, and in the cemetery there are several notables. The Ramor is buried there. But also the Mother of Ram. Rabbi Avram Gumbiner is buried in that cemetery. This is what he said. Ita Zohar, Ita Zohar. He, the Mogad Avram, was not loath to quote the Zohar in a halachic context, which was not something that was obvious. It was, you know, uh, it goes like this. The Zohar was more likely to be quoted than the Arizal. Arizal, right? Then uh, Tzvat, right, the Arizal and Tzvat wrote or produced many books that have halachic import. But generally there was this difficult, it wasn't clear what the status of Kabbalah was, let me say it that way. It was a little 
worse, even, you know, after Shaftai Tzvi, everything got worse with the Shaftai Tzvi was a bad guy from our point of view, but he was a Kabbalah guy. So that produced difficulties. That produced difficulties in certain circles, uh, but even before that, even before Shaftai Tzvi, there was a kind of a difficulty with um, with uh, the Ari, uh, the Kabbalat Ari, the Moshe Kudavera. You know, these, you know, you have a group of people who think they do it better than other people. You ever hear of such a thing happening? So some people go for it, and some people don't go for it. That's the way. That's the way it is. So, uh, so anyway, listen to the to the Magen Abraham. Ita bezohar. Shechasidim Rishonim. Chasidim Rishonim is a concept that comes from the um, from the Mishnah. Chasidim Rishonim. They're from. They're like real from. So the Mishnah says that you have to daven Shmon Esrei be COVID Rosh. COVID Rosh. Rosh. COVID. You have to have a heavy head. I guess it means like serious. It's serious. And then the Mishnah continues and says that the Chasidim Rishonim would come an hour before davening just to get themselves ready to daven. Right? I'm not sure how many people find that attractive, but that's what the that, that was Hasidim Rishonim. They were firmer than other people, but they didn't do things that were outlandish. In in other words, I could imagine that somebody would want to come to shul early to prepare him or herself to. For davening, right? That could happen. So he says, "Chasid Rishonim, Hayud Urim Kol Halayla VeOskim BaTorah." That these Chasidim Rishonim would stay up all night, the night of Shavuos, and they would uh, uh, be Oskim BaTorah. Oskim is a verb that is used to describe what you do when you learn Torah. Hashem Kedushat Vitzitav Tzibano. La sok la sok. So in modern Hebrew, la sok might mean you know, like to, you you like you're dealing the cards, you know, when you like pinnacle. Oh, engaged. Good, that's a good word. I like it. I like it. He says, O skim b'torah. Further, O kfar nahagu rov halomdim la sok came. Kfar nahagu rov halomdim. So we cut it down from everybody. To Longdim, and from Longdim to Rofa Longdim. So, in the time of the of the Magen Abram, most of the people didn't do this. They didn't stay up all night. And then at the next, they had to find a minion. They had to, they had to find a, you know a minion to daven with because uh, most people kept the regular schedule on Shavuot. Right? This has become so widespread that in my neighborhood, you can't find. Anybody who wants to daven the regular time, everybody wants to daven. Of course, led by the kids, who you don't do it because it's like they think it's exciting, <coughs> and they their parents don't tell them to go to sleep that night, which is definitely exciting. So that's what happened. And then he says, "Veshala take ta'am al pipshuto." So up to now, you have to remember that the Morgan Abram is quoting the Zohar. He's quoting the Zohar. That's the only source. The only source for staying up all night on uh, on uh, Shabbos. And the Zohar is usually not considered a primary halakhic source. 
It's the Gemara that's a primary halacha. So it's very difficult to understand how something would be in the Zohar, but not in the Gemara. Right? It's not in the Gemara. Not in the Gemara, not in the Mishnah, not in the Sefta, not in, in, in any of the other Rishonim, not, not in any of these places. Only in the Zohar. And he says here, Be'efshalatei tam al-pipshuto, v'fishay Yisrael ayu yishaynim kol ha-layla. There's such a, such a medrash. Since B'nai Yisrael were sleeping all night long, the night before they, Moshe Rabbeinu went up on our Sinai to get the, for, to have this interaction with God. They slept all night. And so God woke them up in the morning <laughs> and said, you got to get up. This is Mount Torah. We're about to have a, like a big deal, deal. It's a big deal coming up. So God woke them up in the Yisrael Medrash. And this is found in the Medrash. Medrash meaning regular source, a regular source about what's going on. So the Mughan of Rum, the Mughan of Rum is like stuck. He says, the Zohar says that, that a lot of Frum people would stay up all night on Shavuos and learn Torah. Right? A lot of, not all of them, not, but the majority of the long day. And people who didn't know how to learn, and people who were not involved in learning Torah particularly, they didn't stay up all night. You can give somebody a, a safer and say, go learn. I mean, it's very, a very difficult thing for somebody who doesn't engage in learning in a regular way. So he says, he says, now, I, I put in my commentary in the Shulchan Aruch, which means that I think people should do it, Bhagavad Abram said. So, says, so what is it that they're doing? What is they doing? So he says, I mean, he doesn't use that word, but there is a word that the Kabbalists like a lot, and that's the word tikkun. A tikkun is like you fix some uh, unimaginable flaw in the, in the world. It's like a crack. Like, you know, as the, as the Arizal described it, or the Kabbalah of that time. You know, it's like you have a vessel, and the vessel's crack because you put something in it that it couldn't contain like light and so you want to fix it you know you have to find crazy glue for the vessel to glue it together because that's the way God wanted it so here again here again you have uh, some kind of a tikkun they, they, they went to sleep we'll stay up but of course it's not clear that a tikkun has got to fix something that needs to be fixed what is, well, who says it has to be fixed? They, they slept. Tavarle and Bracha. Why do I have to stay up? I mean, what am I fixing in the universe that needs to be fixed? That's the, that's the question. So now I, I, uh, I asked, uh, I asked that you print up all of these Sukim and all of these Rashis, but we're gonna just, we're gonna just look at some of the Sukim and some of the Rashi's. You know that when uh, the first source is Shemot Perik Yutet, and Shemot Perik Yutet is the story, is the chapter before Anoche Hashem Elokecho, which is chapter 20. Right? Anoche Hashem So this chapter Yutet tells us about the preparation that B'nai Yisrael had to do in order to be worthy or to prepare themselves for receiving the Torah in Perikah. Now you, re- you have to remember that their receiving of the Torah, it's a misnomer. 
they didn't receive the Torah. They didn't receive the Torah. What happened on Bab Sivan, what happened on the morning of Bab Sivan, that they Israel were convinced, were convinced that such a thing could happen. What thing could happen? That God could decide to give the Torah to B'nai Yisrael through an intermediary, whose name we know is Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? That's what that's what B'nai Yisrael learned. They didn't receive the Torah because that took a long time and had nothing to do with that day. But on that day, they were all able. It, in, in other words, later on, in Moshe Rabbeinu, he's teaching the Torah to B'nai Yisrael, right? Moshe Rabbeinu, so some kid says to Moshe Rabbeinu, how do I know that you received this Torah from God? So the answer that Moshe Rabbeinu might have given is, uh, like, keep quiet, kid, or talk to me after the shir. And that's the kind of answers you get today in, in school, or, or uh, who put you up to it? You know, that might be uh, an answer. But really, really, there's no answer. But, but, the people of B'nai Israel all knew that it could be. You understand the difference between these two things? In other words, how did Moshe Rabbeinu get the Torah? He went into the Old Moed, and God dictated the Torah to him, and then he came out and he taught it to B'nai Israel. Now, B'nai Israel did not see Moshe Rabbeinu learning the Torah with God. And that's an important point that I want to, I want to emphasize. However, on the first day when B'nai Israel was standing at the mountain with Moshe Rabbeinu to a certain extent, then they did hear God speak to Moshe Rabbeinu, tell him, Anochi Hashem lo that they knew, they knew that it was a prophecy. How did they know it's a prophecy? So some showed him say they knew it because they were also prophets. It, it was they were involved in the same prophecy. They, B'nai Yisrael, were involved in the same prophecy. So, what was the advantage to B'nai Yisrael that they went through this process? Because they knew that it could be. Once they know that it could be, they had no reason not to trust, or had less reason, not to trust Moshe Rabbeinu. You, you, you understand that? So when Moshe Rabbeinu came and he said, I just came from the old boy, and this is what God told, told, taught me. They weren't coming from point zero. It wasn't like Moshe Rabbeinu was, uh, was a new guy on the block who had, a, who had this crazy idea. They knew that God told Moshe Rabbeinu Torah. And they heard the Torah that God told Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai. And so when Moshe Rabbeinu came later on and said, here's more Torah. Here's more Torah that you haven't heard yet. Here's more stuff that you haven't heard yet. So, so they believed it. They believed Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. Now the second thing I want you to remember, I mean that's the first thing has to do with the prep, we're going to learn about the preparations. But I want you to remember also that Moshe Rabbeinu, at the end of the story of Matan Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up the mountain, comes down the mountain, the Egel Azahav, right, the golden calf, 
then the 40 days are over, then Moshe already goes up on the mountain again for 40 days, and he comes down from the mountain, and what is the first thing that Moshe already says to B'nai Yisrael when he comes down the mountain on the third or fourth time on, uh, on uh, uh, Yom HaKippurim? comes down on Yom HaKippurim. What's the first thing that Moshe Rabbeinu, the first thing that is reported extensively in the Torah, the first thing Moshe Rabbeinu said to Israel, let's build a Mishkan. Let's build a Mishkan. And it's not clear why B'nai Yisrael had to build a It's not clear to me. Why B'nai Yisrael had to build Why it's so important for them to build a Mishkan in the desert, which was portable, and eventually fell into some kind of disuse. They weren't really able to use it in Eretz Israel until they built the Beit HaMikdash, of course. Now, you could say that some of the Kalins that are described in the Mishkan eventually are used in the Beit HaMikdash, but I don't think that's a good enough, good enough reason. So I want to discover, I want to discover uh, something about that question. What is it, why is it that B'nai Yisrael had to build a Mishkan what was it about the Mishkan that was so important? So if you look here in Shmuel Shpos Perak Yotet, so you know, God sort of is betrothed to the day Yisrael. If you look at Pasuk Vav, attempt to Yulimam Lechet Kohanim and Goy Kadosh. So that's the betrothal of B'nai Yisrael that HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So there is a conversation that is uh, taking place between B'nai Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but not directly. The conversation is taking place indirectly, like God speaks to Moshe, and Moshe speaks to B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael, they respond to Moshe, and Moshe brings it to, to heaven. So God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, let's look at the words here. Oh, av anan means a thick cloud. Bavu Yishmaha I, God, so to speak, will be speaking with you, Moshe Rabbeinu, and they, B'nai Yisrael, will somehow participate in this event. They'll overhear it. They'll be able to understand what God speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu is, which is what I described previously as that's the revelation. What was revealed to B'nai Yisrael was that God wants to give something to B'nai Yisrael through Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what they knew. They knew that for a fact. 
There's no doubt in anybody's mind about that. Okay? Pasuk Yud. Vayom HaShem HaMoshe Lecha La'am V'Kidashtam Hayom Macha V'Chifsus Zimlotam You see again, Moshe Rabbeinu, God speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu. Go and tell them to do this. Pasuk Yud Aleph Hayun Nechonim L'Yom HaShlishi Be prepared for the third day. They will have a limit. The Nehisar will only be allowed to go up to a certain point at Har Sinai, but not beyond, not beyond that point. And in fact it says, in other when when this, this kedusha time passes, then they'll be able to go up on the on the mountain. Uh, repeats what he was told. I'll teach you the Isha Pasuk Tet Zayin. By he by Yom. What? He well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure that we could work our way around that. But, you know, a little bit. Unless you're petulant. There you go. He took them, he led them by the hand. Lekrat Elohim, face to face God, min hamachane, vayit yatsvu betachtit aha. Just what, vayit yatsvu? Yeah. You see the Rashi? The famous Rashi. Three lines from the bottom, betachtit aha. The thief should tell Baraglayar. The simple understanding of the Pasuk is that it was at the foot of the foot yeah, the footpath of the of the har. Raglayah. That the mountain was cut and uprooted from its place with Ikhpa Alayem Kigigit. It was like like a top. The top of the pot was uh was sitting right over them and then whacked they're gonna they get whacked then uh, then they're gone so that uh, I mean this is a of course uh, what this means what this means I think in, in, in a more modern iteration uh, is that that on the one hand they're supposed to be free will actors in Israel they're supposed to be able to say yes we want it or no we don't want it and yet, it's a little hard to understand how, if God says, here's the Torah, take it, you could say, 
let me think about it for a <coughs> couple of days. I mean, that's like a little hard to imagine. So the kafa alehem hartigigit solution is that <coughs> they, they had free will somehow, but they also knew that if they said the wrong thing, they would get punished. Uh, okay. The Harsinaya Shan Kulom, the Shalirata Labashem, the Eish, the Yala Shanokeshan and the Kibshan, the Yecherat Kolahar Meot. They all, and the mountain was, was shaking in fear. And then Kola Shofar is a description of the event, right? At the end of Pasuk, Kaf, Vayikra Hashem Moshe El Rosh HaVayal Moshe. Right, this, this distinction is maintained throughout between Moshe Rabbeinu and Bnei Yisrael. That Bnei Yisrael do not approach God as Moshe Rabbeinu did. But here I can still, according to Rashi, I can still uh, uh, explain that, after all, Moshe Rabbeinu was, was the unique actor here. He was the one who was going to receive information from God and Bnei Yisrael were going to know about it. But there was still a distinction between Moshe Rabbeinu and Bnei Yisrael. Right? Pasuk of Aleph. Vayom HaShem Moshe Reit Ha'it Ba'am Pein Yersu HaShem Le'er'ot V'nafal Menor You better go back down because who knows what's going to happen. They're going to say there's something going up on the top of the mountain and they're going to run up on the mountain. They're going to run up on the mountain and uh, you better stop them because if they run up on the mountain they're going to be Many of them are going to die. The Gava Kohanim and the Gashim and Hashem Yikadashu Pen Yifrots Bahem Hashem. Also, the Kohanim, right? They should they should be aware because if they're not aware, if they think they're better than everybody else, then they're going to also get zapped. Pesukah Kimo Veyom Moshe La Am Lo Yichal La Am La Lota La Har Sinai. So Moshe Rabbeinu defends B'nai Yisrael after all he says I told them that you said that you can't go further than the foothills of the of the uh, of this mountain and why are you why are you telling me all of this? I'm turning the page turning the page How many pages are there? Two. Is this still at the end of it? Can't be. Can't be. Just a second. Yes, that's the end, right? That's the, that's the last pasuk. In, in other words, and what did Moshe Rabbeinu say? What is the Yomer Alehem? Followed by the next pasuk. So Moshe Alehem means it's an elliptical sentence, but it means 
He told them what God just told them. Don't, don't move up. Don't come closer. Otherwise you're going to get killed. And the Pasuk after that, after that is by, is, I know, by the veil of so that Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Chazal explained that Moshe Rabbeinu started to hear the Aseret that they wrote two Dibrot were heard by all of the Israel and then uh, then um, it ended and Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Israel the rest of the Aseret that they wrote when he came down from the balcony it came down from the mountain. So you see, in any event, the point that I was trying to make was that you see there's a distinction between there's a distinction between Moshe Rabbeinu and Am Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu goes closer, Am Yisrael stays away. There's Hagbalah, right? That kind of a, a limit that's, in, that's imposed upon them. But, but all of that comes from God. All that comes from God. The next section, right in Perikavdalit, Shemot Perik of Dalit. Again, El Look at the another story, right? Because after Moshe Rabbeinu went up for the Ten Commandments, he went up again. He went up again to get the Torah. The Ten Commandments are not the Torah. So there was a forty-day, forty-day sojourn during which Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah, and it begins with this story. Well, Moshe Amar, Alei El Hashem, Atavi, Aron, Nadav, Aviv, Shemim, Dijay, Zerv, Zeravitem, Meirachok. So that there's now going to be three groups, the Bnei Yisrael, and then the people start out with Moshe Rabbeinu, but they don't get very far. And Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayavo Moshe, Vayisabel, Lam, Kol, Dabi Hashem, Mikol, Amishpatim, Okay. You see that? Pasuk Dalit. Look at the Rashi. Dalit. What? Liberation. One second, one second. Moshe Three lines later. 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 Which means that Mibreshit Admatantara was known to the people. They knew the stories of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, and they knew the point of Jewish history, and they knew what happened in Mitzrayim. They knew all of that. But what was the Chidush that Moshe Rabbeinu produced, so to speak? What? He wrote it down. That it was now written. It wasn't just a part of every family's tradition, but there was an official version, what we call Torah Shebichtab. And the Torah Shebichtab was created by Moshe Rabbeinu at this point. And how did he do it? He didn't have the Torah. He didn't have the Torah. He had only the, uh, the Aserah that they wrote, but he wrote the Torah that everybody knew. Everybody knew, and he... he uh, Rashi says, 
ויכתוב משה בפרשית ועד מתן תורה וכתב מצוות שנצטוו במרא. You know the end of the parasha of the Shalach, Shmos Ve'ere Bo Bishalach, the end of the Shalach, the Pesach says, Sham, Sam Lo, Chogu Bishmat Visham Nisau, and it means that they received mitzvot at that time. They received mitzvot. What the mitzvot are, not clear, but Kibur Abba'em seems to be one of the mitzvot. Paraduma, there are two different lists in the Rashi itself about what mitzvot, but it's not in the Torah. The Torah doesn't say what the mitzvot are, but here Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down "Katav mitzvot shenitztavu b'mara." Why Rashi insists on saying that is perhaps that this book that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote is not the book that we have, because the book that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote is from Breishit until Matan Torah, and sometimes he put in these mitzvot, but these mitzvot in our Torah don't exist in the book of Shemot or the book of Breshit. Alright, so that's a, that's a different kind of, uh, of a question that you might ask. What the Pasuk Vav? Reishlach, Pasuk Hei. Reishlach and Nareh B'nei Yisrael B'yadu Olod Yisrael Shlamim L'Hashem Parim V'yitach Moshech Hatsi Adam They gave some sacrifices. Right? Pasuk Chet. Pasuk Tet. Vayal Moshe v'Aron Nadav v'Aviu v'Shivim v'Zdei Zegnei Yisrael. Right? Pasuk Yud v'Yiru et Elokei Yisrael. And they had a special kind of experience which we don't know much about. But it says v'Yiru. Right? They saw God. They saw God meaning I mean, of course, they saw the cloud, and they saw the noise, and they heard the shofar. But now they saw something which was not easily described by a natural force. They couldn't say, oh, it's a mountain, or it's a cloud, or it's a noise. They, they saw something else. They saw, and that is described in the Pesach, in the Torah. I don't know what that means. Okay. Ve'latzilei b'nei Yisrael lo shalach et yado va'yechazu et elokim va'yechlu va'yishtu. They they saw something. Mazaya. Ah, olay. Yudbet v'yom Hashem el Moshe leil ha'har v'yeshavet na lechad luchot ha'evim atorah v'mitzvah shekatati lo rotam. So the story starts over again. Right, Moshe Rabbeinu. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, come up on Har Sinai, I'll give you the whole Torah. Right? The mitzvah shekatavti lorotam. Vayakom Moshe v'yoshua misharto vayal Moshe el har ha'elokim. Ve'ela zkenim ha'mashru lanu v'zeh v'shad v'shuva lechem v'nei aron v'churi machem v'ba'odzvarim y'gash aleihem. Vayal Moshe Hahar Bechasananadar again Moshe Rabbeinu separates himself from the ones who had that experience. Vayishkon Kavod Hashem Al Har Sinai Bechasev Anan Sheshet Yamim Vayikrel Moshe Biyom Hashvim Toch Anan Umarek Kavod Hashem Keisho Chelat Rosh Haleinay B'nei Yisrael. It's only because there was an Eish, a fire that was consuming everything that B'nei Yisrael knew that God was there. Vayavol Moshe b'tocha anan vayal alahar v'yimoshe b'har v'yom v'abim l'ayla. So, however you explain the details in this passage, 
it seems to me clear again that after after the uh, the theophany right all of B'nai Yisrael hearing God speak the Aseret that they broke all of B'nai Yisrael with Moshe Rabbeinu with prophecy they knew that this was true 100% Moshe Rabbeinu retains his special uh, position in terms of, of, of Matan Torah that that the matter on the way different things happened there were sacrifices there were blood being spritzed and there was a, a vision being visioned and, and, and all these things were happening but at the end of the day when the Torah was going to be given Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai alone Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai alone so then you look down Moshe Rabbeinu alone received the Luchot Brit alone, just him. He was the only one, well, the only one there. I'm just, we're just going according to the Peraglamet Bet. I'm on page three. Remember how it all started? Right? So he, he took the he took the jewelry, the gold, and he, he made a Aaron made a golden cap. Right? In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu, confronted by this awesome sin of B'nai Israel, he's still alone. He's alone, he's by himself, he's going up to God himself. The, the people have sinned the great sin and they made themselves a golden God. Okay, so we know that this is a hard pasuk, but it's a prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu is praying for the benefit of Bnei Yisrael, so that the yachas between Moshe Rabbeinu and Am Yisrael hasn't changed. Right? Am Yisrael still needs Moshe Rabbeinu's intervention. Intervention. Et ha'am el asher dibarti lach inei malachi yirech monecha yom kotei pukati alechem chadatam. We've looked at this pasuk many times. By Gof Hashem et ha'am al asher asu et ha'egel asher asaharon. So you see that the Egel asahav brings out Moshe Rabbeinu b'nei Yisrael distinguishes them. They as as though nothing happened, as though nothing happened in the in the first uh, uh, theophany, Shmuel Perik Lamed Gimel, Moshe Lakachet Ha'Ov, Pasuk Chet, VaYaket Seid Moshe Ha'Ov, Yakubu Kolam and Isuish Petach Ha'Alov, VeYibitu Afrei Moshe Ha'Ovala, VaYikavu Moshe Ha'Ovala, Yered Amud Ha'Anan, Ramat Petach Ha'Ov, Diver Moshe Ve'Akol Ha'Amet Amud Ha'Anan, Omeit Petach Ha'Ov, Bekamol Ha'Am. So again, Moshe Rabbeinu made an oil, and in this oil he, he had communion with God. So this reiterates my question, why did they need a Mishkan? 
the Mishkan also had an oil in it. And in that oil, in that oil, Moshe Rabbeinu learned the Torah. That's where he learned, that's where he learned the Torah. Shemot. Uh, You all know, even though it's not on the sheet. I don't know why it's not on the sheet. When Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain, when Moshe Rabbeinu went on the mountain the second time, maybe it is on the sheet, I just didn't do it properly. No, not here. And in, in, in any event, when Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain the second time, it's reported at the end of the parsha of, of, uh, of Mishpatim to receive the Torah. When Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the on Har Sinai to receive the Torah, the end of the parsha of Mishpatim, he said to Bnei Yisrael, "Come with me." And they said to him, "No." We don't want to go up on the mountain with you. Go, and you get the Torah, and then we will learn the Torah from you. That's what Bnei Israel. That's what Bnei Israel did. So that the Yirat Shemayim, the Yirat Shemayim that was produced by the event of God being present on Har Sinai, Yirat Shemayim. In other words, I am in fear. In the presence of God. That's Yirat Shemaim. Fearful in the presence of God. That turned into, for B'nai Yisrael, just plain, ordinary fear. And the difference between Yirat Shemaim and Yirat is that Yirat Shemaim is something that draws you. It's something you want to be close to. Yes, it's, it's overwhelming. It's frightening, but it's the kind of frightening you imagine, you know, children, their children, you know, they see something remarkable and they, sometimes they want to go closer and sometimes they run away. And it'd be interesting to try to figure out when the children do one and when they do the, when they do the other. But I think that my definition of Yerat Shemayim is correct. Yerat Shemayim means in the presence of God. I'm drawn to that presence, although consumed by the fear that I'm drawn to something so overwhelmingly powerful that that I get nervous about it. I'm not 
I'm not able easily to deal with it. However, I am drawn to it. That's called Yirat Shamayim. Yirat. Yirat means you just run away. You run away because so that what happened to B'nai Yisrael at Har Sinai was that Yirat Shamayim, which is the way B'nai Yisrael approached Har Sinai after the three days and after being cleansed and after, you know, going to the mikveh, <coughs> they, they somehow came to the conclusion that they could not put up with the fear. So that the fear, the fear, the year ah, the year ah that they had was a subcategory of Yirat Shabbai. They should have been left with Yirat Shabbai. They should have said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you take us up, we'll go with you. We, we wouldn't want to miss out on this wondrous experience. That's what should have happened. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. B'nai Israel said to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's yours. You, you get the Torah. We will. So that it's not that they went to sleep that night and didn't stay up in anticipation. But what happened was that B'nai Israel developed fear and lost their appreciation for the year at Shammai. And so ultimately, after the Maisa Egel, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down, where he came down and said, let's build a Mishkan. God said, build a Mishkan. You know what a Mishkan is? A Mishkan is, is what there was at Har Sinai. What was there at Har Sinai? Only Gvulot, only limits, only places that you're not allowed to go to. And that, that uh, uh, is why they had to build a Mishkan in, uh, in the desert, because they, they created the need for it. They themselves were the ones who say that it's all Yirat, 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 and not Yirat, and not Yirat Shabbat. So that the building of the Mishkan in the desert represented, to the way I'm thinking about it, represented Yirat. In Yirat, it was like, it was, it was bounded. And, and the, everybody knew that Hazar Hatarev Yumat, that a foreigner will come in and, and will die. And so, so, I mean, I, I've left out a few things, but I want to just say, I want to say that a night of Shavuos, and the issues it may be, and this is kind of, uh, I thought of this by learning uh, some chapters at the beginning of the Nefesh HaChayim. He says, it could be, but on the night of Shavuos, we feel very strongly, we feel very strongly this lack of sensitivity to the Yirat Shamayim that was demanded at the time that we, uh, uh, at the time that we were uh, receiving the Torah. And so we try to make up for it. And according to the Nebuchadnezzar of course, the only vehicle for Dveikut and, uh, and true Yirat Shamayim, because that's what Dveikut is, the only vehicle that we have at our disposal is Kalmatur, which, which uh, you can explain in a kind of geometric way, that if the Torah is God's will, God's mind, God's thinking, God's demands upon us, so that the closest, that, the closest we can get to God, the closest we can get to, to kind of connecting ourselves to God, 
which is probably the ultimate purpose of religion, right? besides socializing, socializing ourselves in a certain way. But see, the real purpose of religion is that there is some kind of an assumption out there that, that you can be close to God and that there's some way to ensure this closeness if you do the right thing. For the Nefeshachayim, for Nefeshachayim, for like the, the world of the Litaim, if there is such a world, but you know, for the Yeshiva world, this idea, the idea is Torah, the idea is you learn Torah. So it makes sense, it makes sense that on the night of Shavuos, which is the night of Matan Torah, that we recognize the fact that there's something that has to be fixed. And so the Mughal Abraham said it, well, what happened to be fixed is that people slept at night and you get up in the morning, you got to fix that. So I don't understand what that means, and I'm not sure that there's a real source for the fact that people didn't, uh, or slept the night and, you know, did not stay up in anticipation. But that's not the point. If, if that were the truth, if that Mughal Abraham were true, then all we would have to do on the night of Shavu is to stay up drink coffee and cheesecake and then hope that it's time to daven. We wouldn't have to learn. But to learn, you could make an argument against learning. They could say, well, they had nothing to learn on Shavuos. All they knew were the first two commandments. You know, that, that day. So, they didn't learn anything. But why do we have to learn? Okay, uh, so I think that learning, you have, to, you have to put the emphasis on learning as an antidote to something that happened. What happened was that the year at Shemayim turned into just plain, ordinary year up. So B'nai Yisrael were not prepared in spite of the preparation that they had in chapter 19 of Shemot. They probably they weren't prepared apparently to receive the Torah. They weren't prepared to stand before God and, uh, and appreciate what was happening uh, quite. And therefore, their lack of appreciation showed up again and again during the next 38 years, 38 years in the desert.